We are, if you don't know, uh, in our second week of a new short series that we're doing, which I've called Gospel, the Captivating Character of Christ, um, which is a really exciting opportunity for us to gather together around the person of who Jesus is. When Phil was speaking on Palm Sunday, I don't know if you can remember that far back, weeks ago now, the week before Easter, um, he told the story of Jesus uh, entering into Jerusalem, uh, ready for the Passover feast. And I was just reminded again, sitting here on the front row, isn't it incredible when we get to hear stories of Jesus, of who he is, what he did when he was moving about the earth. Um, And I was captivated by that. And then obviously we had Easter, where we get to celebrate Jesus's death and his resurrection together. And hear again the stories of our faith, the stories of who the person of Jesus was and is to us. So I was captivated and excited by that. So I wanted to spend the next few weeks just gathering around that again remembering again who Jesus is, the character of who he is. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to use the ways that each of the four gospel writers uh, frames the person of Jesus. Um, So that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're not doing them in that order. Um, But I'm really, really excited about doing that. And and my prayer really for these next few weeks for us together as we explore the person of Jesus again is that our response will simply be to worship him. That we might hear of Jesus's goodness, that we might hear about who Jesus is and his grace and his mercy and be newly blown away, newly captivated by him. And we're blessed, aren't we, to have the incredible gift of scripture to turn to. Uh, So like I said, to frame our thinking over the next few weeks, we're going to be using the Gospels, which is a good place to start for finding out about Jesus, I always find, and using the different emphases that the Gospel readers, the Gospel writers, sorry, have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to help us to see this person of Jesus from a few different angles. Uh, So for those of you who were here last week, uh, Abby, the wonderful Abby, began our series for us and she spoke to us from the book of Luke and she was helping us to see that Jesus is human. She was speaking about Jesus's humanity, Jesus's relatability and the fact that he was human. And so today I'm going to jump to the flip side and I'm going to help us to think about Jesus being God. So... I'd love it if you'd pray for me. (laughs) Uh, Let's do that together now. Jesus, I thank you so much for the gift of your word. I thank you, Jesus, that you are not a God who is distant and far off, but you are a God who has revealed yourself to us in Jesus. So Lord, now as we explore who you are, would you be with us by your Holy Spirit? Would you speak to us? Would you lead us? Would you guide us as we dig into your word now? In Jesus' name. Amen. So stick with me. Today we're going to dive into a little bit of theology, scratch a bit of theology itch, if that's what you're up for, um, just to help us land on really what we're saying when we say that Jesus is God. And we're going to use the Gospel of John today to help us to get there. And let me encourage you, if you haven't read the Gospel of John all the way through, or you're not sure when the last time you did that was, uh, can I encourage you if at all possible, to read it this week. 
Um, I've been digging back into it, having not, we, uh, a couple of years ago, we actually, as a church, hung out in the Gospel of John for a long time. Um, but I've really enjoyed jumping back into it this week as I've been preparing to speak today. Um, the Gospel of John is the most incredible unfolding of Jesus doing miraculous things in unexpected places and gradually revealing himself to people as the Son of God as everyone around him is kind of asking him and asking each other, who is this person? Who are you? Is what you say true? Are the things that you're doing really pointing us to the fact that you are God? That kind of all the way through, it's this reveal. Jesus is revealing more and more of who he is. And people are responding either in confusion or acceptance and worship and confession of who he is, or some people in anger that he is daring to say that he is God. You know, in the Gospel of John, it feels like there's someone around every corner waiting to stone Jesus. Uh, It's this kind of dynamic story of him revealing himself and putting himself in danger for the things he's saying to himself. So all that to say, read it. That's my encouragement for you this morning. Uh, This week when I was uh, thinking about what I wanted to say this morning, when I was uh, preparing for what I might say, I was sort of sitting in um, one of the offices over in SPS house and I was kind of thinking, kind of contemplating, trying to pray and I wasn't really getting very far about what I wanted to really say, if I'm honest with you. I've got there now, maybe, you'll see, you can judge at the end. Um, So it was a lovely sunny day and I decided I was going to just walk out onto Shadwell Basin and just take a moment to pray and to contemplate God's divinity, God's godliness, Jesus's holiness. And I'd kind of built up this image in my head before I popped out there of what that would look like. You know, this holy moment of stepping out onto Shadow Basin and looking out over the serene image in front of me that I'd see, you know, still waters, the sun beating down on my skin, maybe. Uh, Maybe some swans gliding by. I don't know, just an image of picturesque serenity that would enable me to contemplate the divinity of Christ, the godliness of this person of Jesus whom we worship. Um, But I don't know if you've actually hung out on Shadow Basin very much, Um, but I kind of stepped down there and uh, sort of looked around and to my left I was kind of greeted by an image of, um, I don't know how to put this kindly, but basically topless skinny white blokes um, working out on the gym, which didn't inspire me that much. Um, Some blokes sitting on a bench in front of me smoking something illegal. Um, And even then the sun went behind a cloud. And that was disappointing to me. But it was as if God was reminding me in that moment that his godliness the way in which we know him is it's much more human than we often try to conjure up. You know, I tried to orchestrate this holy, breathtaking moment. And God was reminding me that, that the scene that greeted me on the basin is a lot more akin to his godliness than we sometimes like to think. The wildest thing about being a Christian 
the most crazy thing about being a follower of Jesus is that the God we follow has chosen to be a very specific type of God. When I was studying, I was uh, for my master's, I was captivated and irritated by the theologian Robert Jensen. And he says this, Jesus has a mother and an executioner. And moreover, he hangs around with mortals. Often when we have the word God in our heads, without thinking, we can overthink too much that God is this mysterious otherness that we can't contemplate, that we can't communicate with, that we can't know, that we can't touch or be near. But the wild thing about the God that we follow, the wild thing about being a Christian is that we follow the kind of God who has chosen to represent himself as a first century Jewish Galilean man whose stories we can read and know, whose personhood we can understand and grapple with in the stories of how he moved about, hanging about with mortals. Does that not blow your mind that God, the God of the universe, would choose to be that kind of God? What a strange and incredible God it is that we follow. And this humanity, godliness combination is something which is actually one of the most important truths of our faith. And it's something which has been discussed and debated by theologians throughout church history. It's also something, though, that was landed on and agreed fairly early on. So in uh, 451, when a council met in Chalcedon to decide what it is that we're supposed to believe about the incarnation. And they wrote out what it is that we're supposed to understand of the fact that Jesus is both human and God. And a very quick summary of what they said was that Jesus is both God and man. And not just that, but Jesus is fully God and fully man. He's not a kind of half man, half God hybrid. And he also isn't a goddy slash man mixture. You know, he's not two people in one. He is both, stay with me, 100% man and 100% God. Two natures and one person. And that is wild to me. And that is the kind of thing that every now and again, when I let myself contemplate it, it blows my mind and makes me worship because I think what kind of God would be that kind of God? So today, to help us to ground some of that back into scripture, I want to take a favourite story of mine from the Gospel of John to help us to see this person, God and man in action. So I'd love to encourage you to turn on your phone or in your Bible to John chapter 11 to keep it open in front of you because we're going to be kind of dipping in and out. And uh, this is the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. Uh, And throughout this story, we find three moments where we see Jesus's divinity, his godness 
and is humanity sort of intermingling and at play with one another. And I have to be careful here. What I'm not doing is trying to point out which bit of his behaviour is the human behaviour and which bit is the God-like behaviour that we see in Jesus. Um, That's not what we're saying. What we're really saying is it's incredible that Jesus is God and the humanness of him that we see as we're going to go through this story is his godliness. Does that make sense? That's what we're going to go through together. So we're going to pick up at verse four. So the context is Mary, the Mary who poured uh, perfume on Jesus's feet and wiped it away with her hair. It's that Mary has called for Jesus because her brother Lazarus is ill. And so Jesus has heard this, and this is where we pick up in verse four. It says, Jesus said, this illness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. And then it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Lazarus. And I love this beautiful glimpse of Jesus's humanity and his divinity playing out together. Jesus says, this is all for my glory. Your brother Lazarus being ill and eventually he dies, not to ruin the story, but you probably know that. Uh, This is all for my glory. This whole thing is going to bring me glory. It's going to help others to see what I'm all about. It's going to help others to see that I am God and help them to worship me. But it says at the same time, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So you have Jesus at the same time saying, this is going to glorify me. Through this, people are going to understand who I am. But it also says in the same breath, Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. The glory of God and the love of friendship all wrapped up in one interaction. It's incredible. That kind of challenged me when I read it. Because if I'm honest, sometimes when people come to me with things they're working through, you know, things that they might be struggling with, it's too tempting sometimes to say, or to maybe even see how God is going to use this to glorify himself. You know, how God's going to use the situations that we go through that others might see and worship him. But sometimes it's too tempting to jump straight to that and to say to people, oh, but God's going to use this for good. God's going to use this for his glory. And to forget that we are friends with people as well. We have to wrap our own attempts at godliness up in our own humanity. And Jesus does that in such a perfect way. So sadly, as we know, Lazarus dies and Jesus doesn't rush to get there, which frustrates Mary and Martha. By the time Jesus arrives, Lazarus is in his tomb and he's been there for four days. And just before he gets there, Martha comes out to meet Jesus and they have this incredible conversation. So starting at verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, 
I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Martha makes this incredible confession publicly about who Jesus is. She confesses to Jesus that she understands and believes what he is saying to her, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. He's the one that they've been waiting for. And she understands the power that he has. And she understands what he will do. I wonder what each of us would answer confronted with Jesus if he said, do you believe this? I wonder what your answer would be. And Jesus in this story has just said some of the most well-known, one of the most well-known phrases that we know him to have said, I'm the resurrection and the life. A huge messianic statement. He's putting, like nailing his flag to the mast. He's saying, I am God. I'm the son of God. Declaring to Martha and anyone else listening that not only is he going to raise his friend from the dead, but that he's the one they've been waiting for. He's the Messiah. He's the one who will raise each of them from the dead. And then dipping back in from verse 32, it says, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who'd come along with her also weeping, it says he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept and the Jews said, See how he loved him. This is the kind of God that our God has chosen to be. A human who others can declare is God. A God who weeps for his friend when he dies, who stands along his friends as they grieve and grieves with them. This is an incredible intermingling of God's true divinity, Jesus's true godliness, and also his true humanity, that he would be alongside his friends and grieve with them and weep with them. That's the kind of God our God has chosen to be. And we can know what kind of God our God is, like I said, because we've seen Jesus. You know, we read about him in the Gospels. We worship him. We hear from him by the Holy Spirit. So we can know that at the same time that God promises to resurrect us, to resurrect our situations, to resurrect our darkness, to resurrect our grief, to bring life into the death that we see around us. At the same time as doing all of that, we can know that our God is also the God who weeps with us, who calls us friend, who comes alongside us in our grief. We get to know a God who does both of those things at the same time. That is who our God is. And then from verse 39, it says this, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. 
But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by, the time there, by this time there is a bad odour, for he's been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he'd said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. I love this little chunk of the story. Martha, who's just made this epic confession, this huge statement, I believe that you are the Messiah. I believe that you are the son of God is now in the same breath concerned with the smell that there's going to be from the tomb that Jesus is going to enter into. Then Jesus calls Lazarus out. And of course we know, don't we, that he's raised from the dead. Lazarus is not in his tomb, rotting and making a smell, but he is alive and he walks out of the tomb and takes off his grave clothes. And I think Martha is a bit like all of us, isn't she? Martha is a great example of a person baffled as to how to respond to Jesus knowing that she should and that she can call him Lord, knowing that she can also call him friend, that she can know that he will resurrect her brother, but still that she would be concerned about the stench of death that lingers. So if you're feeling baffled today, and I wouldn't blame you, you are in good company with Martha. You know, how often do we struggle with this thing that we see in Jesus? We want him to resurrect. We want him to bring new life. We want him to take the death out of situations and replace it with life. But we also want him to walk alongside us in our grief, to be with us in our sadnesses, that we might just walk with him and know him as our friend. And what this story, this amazing story in John tells us is that we have a God who can do both. And not just that, but our God is a God who has chosen to be that way. He has chosen to reveal himself to us in such a way that we might know him as friend and saviour simultaneously. Not that one is God and one is human, but that he's chosen that his godliness would look like his humanness. What an amazing God we worship. Amen. Why don't we stand?